Welcome to The Big Unlock, where we discuss data, analytics, and emerging technologies in healthcare. Here's some of the most innovative thinkers in healthcare information technology talk about the digital transformation of healthcare and how they are driving change in their organizations. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to my podcast, The Big Unlock. This is Patty, and it is my great uh, privilege and honor to have as my special guest today, Colt Cotright, Director of Corporate Data and Analytics at Primera Blue Cross. Colt, welcome to the show. Patty, thank you for having me. You're most welcome. Now, for for those of us among our listeners who may not know who Primera Blue Cross is, would you like to share a little bit about uh, the company? Uh, sure. So we are a, a Blue Cross plan. We're headquartered in Washington State, just out of Seattle. Uh, we cover a little over 2 million lives, and our primary markets are Washington and Alaska. Uh, for folks who may not be as familiar with the insurance market, we predominantly insure uh, commercial individuals, so these are working age uh, uh, people, not uh, you know retired uh, Medicare or Medicaid populations. Um, we are uh, an insurer of choice for some larger name companies that people may know, like Starbucks, Amazon, Expedia, Warehouser, uh, Microsoft. Um, so we do tend to insure a lot of uh, well-known companies uh, that have a national uh, presence, uh, in addition to local employers in Washington State and Alaska. That's great. That's, I think, a, a wonderful introduction to Primera. And, of course, I love the Pacific Northwest, so I'm looking forward to our next uh, my next visit to Primera sometime soon. Excellent. Well, give it a few more. Uh, give it a few more weeks. I'm literally looking at snow, so it's uh, unusual for us at this time of year. But uh, we we actually have snow coming down. <laughs> All right. So, Colt. Uh, so you are heading up the analytics function at Primera. Uh, so tell us about how the analytics function is set up at Primera, and what are some of your primary focus areas. Uh, where does the function sit within the organization, who it reports it? But can you just talk to us a little bit about uh, that? Sure. So I lead uh, uh, corporate data and analytics. That's really an umbrella organization that provides services uh, throughout Primera. Insurers tend to be heavily uh, data-driven. And so uh, under this umbrella includes uh, the, the large uh, production data assets, like uh, data warehouse, data science platform, data lake environments, uh, the large uh, uh, containers of information that analysts and actuaries and underwriters uh, use as part of normal insurance business. And then um, I have a consolidated responsibility for um, sales analytics and reporting, marketing analytics and reporting, uh, clinical and operational uh, analytics and reporting. Uh, so essentially everything except for underwriters and actuaries, uh, although they are um, very large customers of the data assets uh, and analytic capabilities uh, that uh, I and my team oversee. Right, and that's interesting. And I'll come back to the to the uh, comments you made about 
marketing analytics versus all the other types of analytics related to your uh, clinical data and uh, uh, member data. Mm -hmm. So, well, let let me start with this. There's a big focus on population health management uh, today, and there's obviously a need to understand patients or members holistically by using data from multiple sources, right? So, in addition to your own claims data, what, what kind of data are you now using, and and how are you using them? Can you give us a broad overview of that? Sure. You know the way um, the way I might. Uh answer your question in the, in the beginning is we think about um, really addressing three primary issues with regard to population health. And one has to do with the fragmentation of care. So um, typically, the more ill someone is, the more doctors they see, and um, the need to coordinate care across um, you know, a, a large number of, of provider or ancillary organizations like labs and pharmacies um, becomes very important. So fragmentation of care quickly leads into a fragmentation of data issue. Uh, and we've spent considerable time trying to get our arms around that. And I'll maybe talk about that in a minute. And then the third area around population health is really um, the fact that the incentives still are not aligned across the the system. So, you know, payer, provider, uh, and, and employers um, oftentimes have competing incentives. And so, Primera typically looks for ways to address um, uh, one, two, or three of those those issues. And I'm I'm probably most equipped to, to deal with the uh, with the data piece. And I'll say. Um, Many years ago, we moved down the path of building a longitudinal record of members uh, across provider groups and employer contracts, so so we could really get a more holistic picture. And 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 then we we moved down the path of working to to share that data with our own clinicians, uh, case managers, mental health professionals, pharmacists, medical directors to be able to better engage with members in supporting their own personal health within population health. And, and so those are longstanding efforts that, uh, that we pursued, and those have moved into um, new capabilities around interoperability where traditional claims data um, has, has been um, really added to significantly by bringing in electronic medical record information. And uh, we've been able to do that across a number of states. I can I can talk more about that in a minute. Uh, but having access to um, lab results, pharmacy information, detailed clinical, CCDA, uh, ADT type information, uh, is is really a significant addition to providing um, a, a better longitudinal member record for uh, for Premira and then ultimately our, our provider partners. Right, right. So so let's dig into that a little bit and uh, maybe uh, maybe we do a rapid fire of you know a handful of different data types that are now emerging as important sources of 
insights about patients in, in your pursuit of this meaningful longitudinal patient record and, and a 360-degree view of the patient as well, or the member, uh, as you, mm -hmm. you might. So let's start with the rapid fire. Let's start with EMR data. How, how are you going about integrating clinical uh, data, specifically EMR data, with your claims data? So today we um, we have two primary efforts uh, underway to to capture that data. We connect to uh, an HIE in Alaska. They they invested uh, in that state with a um, a capability that in real time uh, consolidates pushes and pulls medical data uh, across provider systems in Alaska, and we. We uh, likewise receive that data in real time uh, in Primera. So you can imagine that if you are a, a member that goes to the ER and you hand over a Primera card and your uh, ID, the system identifies you as a Primera member, and we know that you're in the ER uh, in under a minute. Okay, so that's one example of how we're integrating um, to to EMR data. Another example is we have a, a commercial partner that operates across a number of states that focuses specifically on uh, ADT data feeds. Uh, and so it's not the entire record uh, in, in, in a similar fashion to what we're able to get through a true HIE, but we can accomplish the same thing I just described now across uh, 11 states and, and uh, uh, and, and over 400 EMRs because of those two partnerships. That's interesting. So is that uh, is that therefore the optimal or the easiest way to get access to EMR data? In other words, work with somebody who has already put in the work of aggregating EMR data from multiple uh, providers and multiple EMR systems. Is that the is that the best way to obtain that data in today's context? So it is certainly an accelerator, right? So that's why healthcare information exchanges, I think, are getting more traction than um, older ideas that people were pursuing that were a little similar in the 90s and early 2000s. Um, instead, the healthcare information exchanges are making traction um, today, and, uh, and and they are a huge accelerator to be able to get access to this information for the benefit of the member and and other providers so so, so let me talk about uh, the patient matching you made a reference to patient matching uh, especially in the context of clinical care uh, mm -hmm. you had also mentioned that part of your responsibility was marketing analytics so for your marketing function you're targeting uh, your healthcare consumers your existing members or potential members as the case may be uh, what kind of data do you use for that function, and how do you go about the patient matching in that context? So we have, um, I would say, we have the the, the typical um, payer approach to to marketing in an environment that's heavily employer driven, right? So we we do have um, you know individual lines of business, but the bulk of our of our um, work is really in the employer space and oftentimes in the large employer space. And so we we 
we do engage in, in I would say, more traditional type analytics in, uh, in, in the marketing space. It's really once we have clients that we provide differentiated in uh, data science-like capabilities that are continuing to expand, um, you know, year over year in, in the insurance market. Right. Do you ever use, uh, you know, commercially available uh, uh, consumer data, uh, you know, such as, for instance, from the credit bureaus, one of the credit bureaus? Do you, do you find that to be a valuable uh, source of information on your members, or, or do you not feel the need for it? So we we um, we do have some of that data. We have not found it to be valuable, um, and and I would say that even more strongly, um, when we do our own machine learning work to try to understand, you know, who who might engage with us around um, their personal health journey, right? So if someone's do, newly diagnosed with a condition, and we have a program to better support their needs and help make them an informed um, person around the, the condition they have and an informed healthcare consumer. Uh, we, we've actually on the data science side attempted to work with that information to see if it had any uh, predictive power in understanding who might be more um, uh, willing to engage uh, with, with our clinical programs. And again, we have not found that to be uh, it, it does not provide a large lift, and the you know one can imagine why, um, but we don't know for certain. Um, healthcare is very different, and people's you know idea about how they make decisions around their health uh, seems to be quite a lot different than you know if they were to buy a a uh, a book on Amazon or a type of coffee at Starbucks. Right, right. And of course, your your member base is uh, is a lot different from someone who, let's say, deals with uh, Medicare or Medicaid populations. And the reason I mention that is that uh, uh, there's this whole notion of social determinants of health that there seems to be a lot of interest in, especially among uh, providers who are addressing a large, uh, let's say, Medicaid population because they want to know where they live, what their needs are, whether it's food or transportation or any of that. And that's you know that was kind of where I was going with that question, but your you know customer base uh, doesn't include any of those segments and and so i I imagine that that has something to do with why the consumer data doesn't meaningfully add value to you am i yeah where we where we tend to see some of the social determinant impact and to your point yes you're you're right there is because these are you know employed um we tend to have a younger population just given our our employer base uh and we're fairly active in the northwest so our demographics do look uh, a, a little different than some other uh plans and uh what i would say is that the closest connection we found is um having uh, awareness of uh support in the home other family members or other things that can be a meaningful predictor around uh, for instance, readmission to a hospital or uh, return to an ER, uh, repeated ER use. That's where we tend to see value in, in our population. All right. So let's move on in the rapid fire. Uh, let's go to the next uh, data type, IoT data, wearables. 
Um, we, we experimented uh, early on. Um, we don't capture a lot of that anymore. I would say um, we didn't see uh, uh, at the time a lot of willingness of the provider community to entertain that. And uh, similarly, we, we did not um, find a lot of, I would say, financial value for the plan in that space. To the extent that those things are um, becoming more um, motivational and they create healthcare improvements for the individual, I think they're fantastic. And certainly we have plans that um, kind of work to help people um, engage with those type of tools to help them on their healthcare journey. I won't throw out names, but we actually work with a, a, a vendor organization um, around healthy lifestyles and um, and another one around pain management and and uh, IoT devices are part of that and and very helpful but from a pure you know uh, financial perspective uh, we didn't see the value um, for for our core work and the provider community when we were more heavily involved in that area it was not receptive to using uh, that information now that will likely evolve uh, over time and and we need we may end up coming back to that at some point in the future. Right, right. And, and that's actually a nice segue to my last uh, data type that I wanted to ask about, genomics data. Uh, we, we deliberately, um, we've deliberately stayed away uh, from that, um, partly because there were some fairly restrictive regulations in our Alaska market around accessing and, and using that information. So at this point, we, we do not leverage that as a, as a core part of, of our work. Do you, do, you see, do you see a future? Do you see potential for genomics data to be a, an important part of uh, understanding patients and, uh, and you know, intervening? Do, do you see that to be uh, something in the near future, or do you think that's it's got a longer time frame to play out? So, so you know, there's two areas that I, I kind of have a, a a lot of passion around uh, these days. One is interoperability; the other is data science. So, when I when I put on my data science hat, I, I I can certainly say that there's tremendous promise in in that space, right? Um, uh, everything from trying to better understand um, clinical trial data and uh, even ultimately bypass uh, the, the lengthy delays in RCTs uh, are, are things that the pharma uh, arena is, is examining. Um, the, the opportunity for tailored medications and treatments or even tailored benefit designs um, really get kind of exciting to, to talk about. Um, but I, I think we're still very early um, in in trying to even know where and when we should be doing that work. And then, of course, you, you know, uh, uh, there's going to be a, a public concern that um, that that could be used uh, as, uh, to, to disadvantage certain individuals. So I think you know there also needs to be a closer examination. Um, to to make sure that when this is used, and I think it is a win, not an if, but 
when it is used that it is used appropriately across the the healthcare system from the research community through the insurance industry. Right, right, right. Now that is well said. That is well said. Well, you mentioned two things that uh, that are part of your core uh, role. One is a data sciences hat that you wear, and the others, you know, inter- interoperability. So let's talk about data sciences. How, so how do you go about uh, really leveraging all the advanced analytics uh, tools and platforms and capabilities out there? Do you build it all in house? Do you partner with someone? You know, what, what kind of uh, you know what kind of investments have you made in? Let's say artificial intelligence, which you know, which is all the rage. Can you talk a little bit about you know your, the advanced analytics capability that you've that you've built for yourself? Yeah, so so um, I'd say that we we've been um, we've been doing both, right? So a, a lot of my time and attention has been placed uh, around how do we take traditional analytic activity um in in a payer system and move that into the world of data science uh how do you move from structured columns and rows to um to unstructured data and um and then you know frankly because it it is new and it's advanced and it, and, and retraining retooling takes time we also have partnerships and um maybe if i were to to talk for a second about what we do in each of those uh, two areas, it, it, it would be helpful. So internally, for instance, we um, we apply data science to recorded and transcribed and tagged phone calls with our members. So uh, when members call in, uh, we we um, we have a record, right? And if you think about why a member calls, it's generally going to center around something that they didn't know before. Um, and, and in many other industries, a phone call is a, is a defect in, in the product, right? So they didn't understand something. We may not have described it in the right way. We may not have made the information available in, in an easy way to access. And so we take the, that call data and, and identify themes, you know, reasons for, for members to, to call us. So uh, we've had to build our own uh natural language processing capability because the language of of the insurance market is quite a bit different um there's there's relatively advanced nlp in the retail space of the banking space and even in the clinical care space uh, but our language in the insurance industry is quite a bit different so we had to invest in uh in uh, in nlp construction and uh and, and training uh, and then obviously with the EMR data, that provides a whole new uh, area of focus around uh, nursing notes, doctor notes, misdiagnoses that can be tied back to uh, commercial risk, um, can be tied back to uh, quality of care, uh, uh, care gaps. So those are those are areas where we're focused uh, internally. And... Um, and then uh, externally, uh, we we do have partnerships. Uh, we have partnerships with some venture startup companies. Uh, we have an affiliation with Stanford University, for instance. And uh, we're trying to leverage the best and brightest thinking in in, in that space, and uh, and continue to move forward with predictive capabilities that sometimes require um, either unique 
talent uh, or additional data that, that partnering with another organization can can provide. Right, right. Now, you know, you mentioned interoperability, which is the other piece. And from mm -hmm. what I from what I understood from your earlier comments, uh, by virtue of the fact that you have this uh, relationship with a fairly robust HIE, uh, you are able to get all of the information aggregated and presented to you possibly through one interface, one API, and that can vastly simplify things from a technical mm -hmm. interoperability point, right? But that's, that yeah. still leaves the question of semantic interoperability, which is what I think you alluded to when you talk about the language of the insurance industry and how that uh, you know overlays on you know the language that the providers use or any of the other participants in this new data ecosystem may use. Can you talk a little bit about uh, you know how, how you address that? Um, to, today we we are um, we're at an earlier stage, and I, I don't think that's unique to Premira. I, I think as a as an industry, we're still trying to wrap our arms around. Uh, um, pure data, even raw data interoperability. And we're leveraging the standards that are out there to to the maximum extent. And then from the semantic standpoint, we're really still using human beings, right? If we if we can bring the data in and we can interpret it sufficiently, not standardize it, but if we can interpret it sufficiently and push it to the right human being to do something with that information, that today is the win. Um, so we don't have true semantic uh, interoperability, and it's challenging as, as templates and um, and values are designed uniquely. Um, sometimes they're not even uh, equivalent within the same large provider system. Um, so that is uh, that is a challenge. So. Um, it's it's a win for us to to simply be able to ingest that data. And where we have moved to more recently is is to not only be able to receive the data, but to be able to push the data. So we, where we are able to provide more context is in our own data. And to be able to put our data into the message type and make it visible to the provider as part of their workflow. And, and, and to do that in as seamless a way as uh, as we can, and and so that that I think is is just kind of the current state of of, of where we are today. Right, right. It's still work in process, and it's still early days yet, uh, as far as that is concerned. So uh, let me switch gears and talk a little bit about uh, let's talk a little bit about digital transformation. You know, the entire industry, uh, in fact, most industries are in the throes of a digital transformation, and some may argue that you know other industries are probably further ahead in that journey than healthcare is generally put so can you talk a little bit about what you know what's uh, what does primera's digital program look like and what kind of focus areas are important at this at this time primera as it towards a digital future and engaging with your members or with your provider network or or any other part of your organization? Yeah, so I would say um, certainly arming the providers of the frontline um, uh, capability to engage our members is is first and foremost, right? So being able to to deal with the um, fragmentation of care, fragmentation of data, and then trying to align incentives 
actually are 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 a huge part of our our digital transformation. It doesn't sound like what people think of when they hear digital transformation, but a lot of it's around the receptivity and the willingness and uh, um, to to receive the data and and, and act on it. And um, the other party that, that is very important, of course, is the member patient, right? So the the two people who who need to to have this information uh, to make a decision are the doctor and and the patient. And so where we've made progress on the on the member side is that we are um, using interoperability. So when we know that you make an appointment with a with a doctor, um, and we have that capability to do mobile scheduling through a partnership we have. It's one of the other venture funded uh, organizations I was mentioning earlier. Um, that we will provide you when you have your appointment with an updated record, for instance, of your pharmacy history. So you don't have to remember that when, when you meet with the doctor. And the doctor can have insight into, are you filling the medications that they prescribe? So if that's data we have and, and the provider doesn't, they know if they prescribe medication, we know if the member fills it. And oftentimes the member doesn't remember to tell the doctor that they actually have this other medication that they're taking, and that can have a profound impact if the doctor makes a care decision um, in a new appointment. So, so we're empowering the the member uh, with data where and when they need it, and then we are also uh, working through transparency, and that's that's been a a challenging topic in in healthcare for a couple of decades, uh, but we do. Through uh, through this other partnership, have mobile capability. So if you, as a member, choose to um, to to accept participation and and use of the app, we will help you find a high value physician, whether it's a primary care doctor or or a specialist. So. Right, that's very interesting. That's fascinating, actually. So. Uh, uh, I want to touch on something else, uh, more recent development. Uh, you know, I was at HIMSS a couple of weeks back. Uh, oh, gosh, it was last week, I think. It sounds like 100 years ago. And <laughs> one of the big things that dominated the conference was uh, the new uh, proposed ruling by the Health and Human Services uh, uh, and the CMS, which was around data interoperability. Uh, but it was also about a number of other things. And essentially, the focus was on providing data transparency to patients and uh, putting the you know putting the power back in the hands of the patients in terms of having access to their medical records uh, without having to either pay for it or go through a lot of effort just to obtain it and so uh, and it's a it's, I'm told it's an 800 page ruling and so do you have any initial thoughts on what you know what that what that means for health plans such as Primera? so so um you know, I I, uh, I I need to stay away from like specific responses to to the ruling um, because we're going to have that come through the association as you know that we are, are a participant in. I will though, um, I'll comment in 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 maybe a more or more general way, and and I this this may still sound a, a little. Um, I don't know, uh, heretical or, or new, um, 
but I think it's going to be an increasingly common uh, uh, observation as, as this type of ruling um, uh, moves forward. And, and that is, uh, you know, healthcare, I think, ha has been let down by IT investments over the last, you know, 20 years. The, the concepts of interoperability, um, to my knowledge, you know, began with this realization in the late 90s uh, that led to the two errors human report. Um, and, and this realization that not having information at the time needed was hugely impactful to to patient safety and and impacted medical errors. More recently, we know it also influences influences care gaps and produces waste and other things. And you know, the unfortunate thing is that our industry, um, payers and 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 providers both have spent a lot of money. Uh, uh, we spend billions of dollars every year on, on technology, and and we've done that for a long time in good faith, but. When I walk down the halls, whether it's with a provider partner or in, in Premira, we still see fax machines and, and people scanning documents. And um, and and so I think, you know, again, we've, we've been let down by a lot of IT investments. And so what I like about this ruling is uh, there's, there's new pressure, right? I would say it's a culmination of uh, nearly two decades of observations around the impact of not having interoperability, and it, it's topical now. And I think it's going to be one of the most topical things that we talk about in the healthcare system over the next five years. Um, so I, I think this puts pressure on future investments to actually accomplish the mission, um, stop pushing paper around, stop having people call each other to to share data. Let's do this in a modern way. We don't. We don't carry our bank record when we visit a bank across town to get our money. Um, we're expecting that their system, their their ATM, is going to be able to know, you know, about us and the ability to access that information, and the the the, the dollar amounts are going to be correct. And so, from a you know um, a com computer standpoint, um, it's 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 a it's a data problem, a data liquidity and a data exchange problem. So I think it's good. Um, the two most important things that, I, that I've seen are the one you mentioned, uh, member access to their own record. I think that opens up a ton of new opportunities. So you mentioned, uh, for instance, genomics. Um, based on the member's interest, uh, th there could well be other industries that crop up that help advise people and, and uh, support them. Uh, based on their care needs and, and care utilization. And, and the second really important thing is no data blocking, right? So uh, we need to make sure that systems are communicating uh, and, and that, that there's not any one party um, because of how they might be incentivized today to stop data from being exchanged uh, appropriately and freely to support healthcare delivery. Right, right. Data liquidity. I think that that uh, is probably the big takeaway from all of this. Uh, that you know, if anything, this is going to improve data liquidity, and that is all for the good. So, now thank you for those comments. So, uh, 
we're at the end of our time, and I really want to thank you for uh, taking the time out to to speak with me and uh, for sharing your insights. Uh, it's been a fascinating conversation, and uh, look forward to speaking again very soon. Thank you. I've enjoyed it, Patty, and uh, I wish you and, and all your listeners well. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Subscribe to our podcast series at www.thebigunlock.com and write to us at info at thebigunlock.com.